Good morning. So as Pastor Drew was talking and I mentioned tithing in my message today, and I was just thinking 10% given to God helps the 90% idiot that I can be, right? <laughs> I've watched God do that through the years. So, uh, so glad that you guys chose to join us today and I love what God is doing in our church. Uh, I loved what Claudio spoke about last week. I love how he communicated. I love watching his life as we look back at, at his life and God's design. How God was instrumental in honoring his integrity. Always, I, I loved how he said that he made bad grades and they were B's. Don't you wish you made bad grades? I know that that's not my idea of bad grades. But, but I loved how he simplified calling as well. That calling is meeting a need. And a lot of times we try to make it something that it's not, but part of a definition is called to meet a need. And I I loved that. It simplified it. So we're in the second week of our four-week series just talking about uh, the culture of we and what kind of culture when we were going to to over to the multi-site, what we were going to sit down with our leaders and our, our first responders the first people, the, the early adopters who were going to go with us, we wanted to set a culture to begin with of how we wanted people to react, how we wanted people to serve, how we wanted people to think. And the first, the first part of that is God. God is first. The second part of that is it's about us as a team. We. The third part is them, the people that we would come in contact with, that we would serve, that we would minister to. And the last part of that is you. The individual is last. And if we would honor those four things, we believe that God would have honored the multi-site. And of course, this is what we are looking to do here at Good News. So uh, if you would, let's stand. Let's go through scripture today. We're going to use one verse as we're going to read one verse as we stand today. But there's some other verses that we're going to share. Acts 2.42. This is from the NIV version. Let's read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the men and women in this place. God, thank you for your goodness toward us. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts, bring revelation, prompt us, God, to to live out the gospel message. I pray, God, that you would remove any, any barriers, any boundaries, God. I pray that you would give us revelation. Let us hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. So Joseph Hellerman wrote a book called When the Church Was Family. And this is what a quote from that book. He says, the idea of salvation cannot be reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus. God's plan is much more encompassing. God intends for salvation to be a community creating event. Now, I don't know about you, but I love community. I love hanging out. I love getting people together. I love moving people to solve a problem, but I like being with people. And so as we look, if you could put that verse back up on the screen, as we look at Acts 2.42, we see four dynamics that are taking place that I believe are supposed to be part of a biblical community. Now, I don't expect them to be a part of it every time. But there should be some centrality around these four things. We see that they're devoted. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're going through scripture. They're talking about it. They're, they're, they're praying through it. They're wrestling with it. They're looking at their life through that lens. And then to fellowship. And fellowship is more than just sitting down, 
you know, next to somebody. It is life on life. It is, it is deeper than just hanging out. There, there's something more that's taking place. To the breaking of bread, and more than likely, that is communion. They're, they're celebrating what Jesus did, his, his death on the cross, his body that was broken, blood that was shed. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so I'm sure that's part of breaking of bread. It could be just eating together as well, but more than likely, it is them taking communion. And lastly, to prayer. That these four components really need to be part of a biblical community. So that word fellowship is actually koinonia. And koinonia is, is, is something that was uh, it's helped establish the early church. Now, when I got saved, I got saved at 24. And I grew up in a small town. And I think the Bi-City area was about 280 to 300,000 people. So it was a, a smaller area. And uh, my friends I had had since five years old, I went to school with them, uh, played high school ball together, played college ball with some of them. They were all that I knew. And when I got saved, I had to leave them in order for me not to fall back into the old patterns, the, the old behaviors. And so when I, when I left them, I, left, I, I lost basically everything. They were more like family to me than sometimes my own family. It was what I knew. It's where I spent my time. And so uh, when I got saved, I went to this little country church. I don't know how to even describe it. I, I can tell you this. The first time that I went and heard worship, it sounded like Elvis had come to the stage. It was really bad. I like Elvis, kind of, but not for worship. And so, it, but it was this country style and but here's what I found. I found koinonia. I found fellowship. They did potlucks and, and they would eat after church. And the pastor would come alongside and come after me when I began to slip back into old patterns. And they, that was fellowship. There was something really intentional about it. And as I got older and I, I am now you know, a pastor and, and we're part of a bigger church, I find that sometimes I slip into transaction. I show up, I do my job, I, I, I preach or I minister, but I'm not connecting relationally with people. Even right now, if I'm not careful, I can get so lost in my notes that I'm not listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit and speaking to maybe to what he wants to say right now. And I feel like a lot of us in this room, transactional Christianity is where we're at. All right, God, I'm here. I've done my one service of the week. I've spent some time in prayer. I confessed my sins. I raised my hand that time during worship. I've done all the transactional stuff I need to do, right? But I haven't connected with anybody. I don't know if I've actually connected with you. And we get frustrated by transactional Christianity. That's religion, right? Show up, do your thing, go home. Nothing's changed. I feel like sometimes we carry that over in our relationship with God, but I definitely know that we carry it over into our relationship with each other. That's not koinonia. And so I want to give you a definition of transaction, and then we're going to go to relationship. Transaction says the action of conducting business. Have you ever felt like a professional Christian? I know that I have. And I don't want to be a professional Christian. I want to be a relational Christian. So relationship, this is the definition for relationship. The way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected 
or the state of being connected. Connection is powerful. You can be married and not connected. You can come to church and not be connected. You can read your Bible and not be connected. And the goal in the Christian life is to be connected. It's koinonia, it's fellowship. I'm preaching better than response right now. Okay. You're my favorite, Yemi. So the us dynamic of culture needs to be relational driven. We need to get uncomfortable enough to actually access people's hearts and then give them access to our own. Because this is what relational Christianity is about. So koinonia means fellowship. It's mentioned about 20 times in the New Testament. But I think it symbolizes something that's maybe missing at times from our American or Western idea of culture. It means partnership, participation, communion, fellowship, and commitment. And I really do believe this is God's design for church. So everybody is talking about community. How many actually like community? You like to be in community. How many people don't like community? I want to judge you. No, I'm just kidding. But how how many people are introverts? So you'd rather not have to talk at anybody or, you know, you go to the the wall when shake hands or hug necks. You want to go over and hide yourself. So biblical biblical community or fellowship um, is, is something much deeper. Real koinonia or fellowship or community is enticing and it's intimidating. Right? We want it. We're also a little afraid of it because we want the benefits of it without the demands of it. We want you to be open, but I don't want to be open. I want to enjoy a good time, but I don't want to have to be real or authentic or confess my sins, as the Bible says. And so it it is this dynamic that creates tension. So when we think about fellowship or we think about small groups or even our homes, we want them to be places of koinonia. If I'm being honest, I have not always let people into my life. I'm a pastor. I was taught that you keep people at arm's length. How many know it's a terrible way to live? Right? Because you die on the inside and you're carrying stuff you're not supposed to. And there's loneliness. But how many know we do the same thing in our marriages? We do the same thing sometimes in our friendships. We do the same thing sometimes here as Christians. We're desperate to share. We're also desperately afraid to share. But koinonia is calling us to something deeper. So we're going to go back to Acts 2, 42. We're going to take it through 47. And we're going to look at some elements of the early church. So here's something that oftentimes comes up. People want to emulate this model. So they go, we got to leave the big church and we need to go and create home churches. And, and though, you know, for some people, maybe that's, that's right. But I don't think it's the home church model that solves the problem because you can do the same thing in a, in a home church that you do in a big church. The essence of what we want to look at are the components that are taking place. So let's look at Acts 42 and then we'll go through. So they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about that, going through the Bible, looking at what Scripture says, to fellowship, so intentional community, the breaking of bread. More than likely, that was probably communion, but it was also sharing meals. And then to prayer, verse 43. 
And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. How many know that when you honor God, God shows up? Now, it doesn't always show up the way we want him to. It doesn't always do exactly what we ask him. Sometimes he does what he wants to. Right? But when we're doing, when we're honoring God, God shows up. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Stop right there. Do you know anybody that you have any, everything in common with? So what are they talking about? It's Jesus. It's also the formation of the new church. It's also the willingness to sacrifice. It's also the willingness to create something that God is talking about that's new. Because as much as I love my wife, we have like three things in common. <laughs> Jesus, fried food, and football, right? It's for it. So everything in common, that's hilarious. So verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. So what, what we're seeing here is people are willing to meet the needs of, of others. And I'm not talking about needy. There's some people that no matter what, you'll never be able to give them enough, right? We're talking about needs. So they're actually meeting needs. Uh, verse 46. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple court. So they're still going to church. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. How many people here that you eat alone or you're not spending time with people, but also how many can say that you have a glad and sincere heart? I really think this is, there's elements here of community that actually provide joy to our hearts. It, the Lord is doing something, you know, they're, they're biblical community, but community sometimes relieves the stress of loneliness or failure or struggle. All right, verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So when you're part of this biblical koinonia, people want to be a part of it. So if, it, if, if something has happened, think about all the churches in the world. If a church is not growing and they're preaching the gospel, what's wrong? Right? Every church should be booming if God did it all. But if we're not fighting for koinonia, if we're not fighting for fellowship, if we're not actually getting into people's world, if we're not giving people access, more than likely a church can become stagnant. So I know for, for me, I want to be part of a church that is dedicated to this idea of koinonia, this idea of being together. But there's other aspects of the word koinonia too that we need to cover. And you're probably going to be sick and tired of me saying koinonia, but that's, that is the message. So Second uh, Corinthians 9.13 says this, While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for their obedience of your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing, your contribution with them and all men. So it was sharing the gospel. It was also giving to meet needs. They were willing to open up their pocketbook to meet the need. Romans 15, 26 and 27 says this, For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles receive the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do is to return and help them financially. So here's something that I want all of us to think about for just a second. So we've got these new believers in a different area of the world giving back to the poor in an area where the gospel actually started. Okay, and here's the principle. 
especially to our younger generation in our 20s and our 30s, there are people that have laid a, a spiritual foundation for you in this church. They've sacrificed, they've given, they've prayed for you. And our job, not my job, I'm getting into that older generation now, but our job is to honor the generation that that came before us previously. It's not just about finances. It's about honor. It's about asking for wisdom. It's about seeking them out. We've got brilliant people. We've got people that have given their lives for the gospel and they're sitting untapped. Because we're not seeking them out. And we're going to work really hard as a leadership team to see that our, our wisdom and, and our Christian maturity is utilized better. But I'm just saying this is a principle that there are people who have laid foundations for us. So so when it comes to giving, I, uh, it, this was the one thing that I could do in my life. When I got saved, I could tithe. I couldn't, I couldn't obey for like 30 minutes in a row, but I could tithe. I could give God what I had, right? That was the one thing I could do. And so when, when I met Carissa, we, we just, every year we, we would tithe, but we'd also want to give to people. We love blessing people and, and, and sometimes causes, but it was, it was people. And so we'd set aside money and we'd go, God, who do you want us to give to? And even when we had nothing, we would still Sorry. We'd still save up money and, and, and we'd give. And so anyway, our second year here, uh, we, we wanted to bless somebody and, and uh, we said, God, who is it? And do you guys remember pastor rice? I, I think I've told this story one other time and pastor rice kind of helped us, you know, get acclimated to Nebraska and in our adjustment and, uh, he was just such a good man. Uh, he and, and Ms. Patsy and, and so we decided we were going to bless him. Normally we don't talk about this stuff, but I just think it fits the message. And so we, we put some money in an envelope and we gave it to Pastor Walt. And we put on the front of that envelope one word and it was faithful. And, uh, and so a couple of months go by. I asked Pastor Walt, did you give it to him? Yeah, I gave it to him. And a couple of months go by and I used to go with Pastor Rice and we'd go to the hospital sometimes. And I, I love, he would tell stories and I loved his stories. And so I said, Pastor Rice, what's God doing? What's God saying? Tell me something. He said, oh, I got a story for you. So uh, he said, a couple of months ago, I went to the hospital and I visited an old pastor and his wife and his wife had been in the hospital and had a stroke. And they said she would not be able to go home until they had money to build a ramp to get her back into their home. And so he wrote a check right there and, and handed the check to him. And he said, went home and, you know, I knew that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And then I show up at church the next day and pastor Walt calls me into his office and somebody, he said, he said, uh, I was handed an envelope and the only thing it said on there was faithful. So he took it and he said, I went into the bathroom and I looked inside <laughs> Because he wanted to see what it was. And he said, the exact same amount that I paid for that pastor's wife, God had returned in less than 24 hours. Just really cool. And I think we have a lot of stories like this because God loves to honor generosity. And generosity has to be part of a koinonia type of community.
And it doesn't have to always be financial. It can be that you can pray or you can bless people with your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your wisdom, your life experience. But the idea is that you give what you have and who you are to others. And I want that to be a marker of this community. So let's see if you say amen after this next verse. So, so put up Philippians 3.10. Because this is another definition of koinonia. It says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the koinonia of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, some of us are suffering because we're stupid. Right? And I didn't say this in 8.30 or 8 o'clock service. So this is definitely just for the 9.30 service. So suffering because you're not making right decisions, that's not suffering According to this, this is about denial of flesh. It's about wanting to make the right decisions, even when it costs us something. It is being willing to take a public stand for something that you know is going to be offensive to some or divisive to some. But it's willing, no matter what, to fight for your connection with Jesus. Even if it costs you in some way, personally or publicly, you're going to fight for that connection. So we've got fellowship in community. We've got generosity. We've got suffering as the ideas of Koinonia. So if we look at biblical community, what I think is biblical community, it's learning how to be a partaker and active participant. Whenever we are together, it's interactive. It's interdependent. It's fellowship. It is giving. It's giving financially. It's giving of whatever you have. It's suffering. And it's learning how to suffer together. There are people, y'all, I hear stories all the time that sit in these pews and they worship, but they're going through stuff that you have no idea about. It is, it is unbelievable what is happening in our marriages and in our pews. And what, what we do is when we're transactional, we don't know about it, we don't care about it, and we leave. But if we're actually going to be relational, which is what God wants then that's what helps to bring healing, but we've got to be willing to to go in that direction. So what we're talking about involves a deeper level of fellowship than just getting together. It's Jesus-centric, right? He's the thing that we have all things in common, but we're expected to participate and partake together. It's really life on life. So here's some things Krista told me not to share this as a multi-site. So when we were going to the, over to the multi-site, this is what I was going to say. Just some of the things to our group. But I'm really saying it to you guys now. You're our core. You're the people that we actually have to begin to transform our culture. In order to actually produce koinonia. There's got to be people who take responsibility for it. I think I will preach. Thank you very much. It says, uh, I want everybody to lay down... Their presuppositions of what they think church should be. We'll give our lives for what God wants to do. We'll look at scripture and we'll apply it here for Omaha, Nebraska. I said, I'm a team guy. I love we. In this together, for each other, helping each person grow in Christ. All of the roles on on our team will have this mindset. We are looking for contributors Contributors are, are relationship driven. We are looking for people who will give and share their lives for the gospel every day. If you could put up 1 Thessalonians 2.8. 
This is the essence of this. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Here's the thing. Sometimes I feel like we preach something that we won't live. We'll tell people something that we won't follow through on. We'll tell people they should change. We won't show them how. In biblical community, biblical relationship is actually what this is about. You don't know how to do it? Come be with me. I'll show you how. Us means being authentic and real and honest and sacrificial. The only way this really works is if we are okay with friction and tension. It's going to be messy. Turn to somebody and go, you know you've got mess. Come on, y'all. This is true. You know it. Hey, we're going to disagree on things. I'm not afraid of disagreement. Right? We can fight for connection even with disagreement. The only way true community happens is when people take it personally. Are we really willing to be, to, to be honest and take this personally so that we create an open and honest relationship-driven church? The health of any organization will always be determined when it can get past the idea of what about me to what about us. It, it happens for your family, for your marriage, for an organization like this, or even a secular organization. We begin asking a question, what about us? We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to reproduce Eden. It may never be perfect, right? Because we're all involved in it, but we can work toward it. And I don't want to just do church. I don't want to be a professional Christian. I don't want to be living a transactional life. I want to be the church and I want to be relationship driven. So this is an email I received two weeks ago after the first message. It says, how can I help? You guys are starting to talk to people about getting in the mess with people. And I'm guessing you are going to start getting some emails with messy stories. How can I help? What do you need from me? God didn't walk me through all of that for me not to help others walk out of it. I make my own schedule, so I'm open to anything. Let me know how I can help, advise, walk with, or anything else. I love the direction you're going, but as you said, it's going to get messy. And I'm willing to get my hands dirty. Come on. It's good. Second Corinthians one, three and four says this. All praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort he has given us. In order for church to be effective, in order for church to be healthy, in order to walk people into healing. How many people that were, were triune beings? Body, soul, and spirit. And the soul is where most of us struggle. So there, we're, we're praying for physical healing and, and we want people to get saved. But there's a process of, of bringing health and healing to the soul of people. And we all have a responsibility in that. So, transactional Christianity versus koinonia. 
relational. I've got some questions here that I think are important for us to to think through. And if we're being honest, it has to begin first on our leadership team. It has to begin first on the people that are on staff. We have to fight for coining it. We have to fight for relationship. Because it's easy to just go about the business of church and then get disconnected from one another. And then it has to filter to our teams. If our teams are, are only used for a skill or an ability, then we've lost connection again. We have to ask whether or not we have taught well or created the foundations for this to happen. And I can tell you that we haven't. We have not come, along, uh, come alongside people. We haven't developed people. We haven't developed uh, a foundation for this to grow and flourish and show people how to do it. We haven't done that, but we will. We have to ask if we're willing to live in biblical community at home and with others. Are we willing to go deeper than surface level? I'm asking you. You've got to ask. Some of you guys are struggling with sin because it's locked inside of you and you're walking this alone and it dominates you. And you've got to talk to somebody. You've got to to be accountable because what comes into the light is vanquished. Are we willing to be generous with our lives? Are we willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to be honest? Are we willing to fight for the connection even when we disagree? Are we willing to submit our hearts to the Holy Spirit? So here's one of the the tensions that I have in church is that we're really pretty divided. Politically, um, there's probably some other things. We bring all of that junk in here. And, and then we don't talk about it. You're going to find that I love talk. I don't love talking about, but I, I, I'm, I'm willing to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. We have to, right? We have to fight for connection and talk about the things that divide us, right? Okay. Y'all are clapping right now. We'll see. So, so here's the thing. We have to figure out how to get past political stuff. And, and come back to biblical truth. So it talks about how we're supposed to pray for those in leadership. And there's thousands of political leaders. And I'm going to be honest with you. It makes me nauseous to talk about politics. Because I feel like there's in, indoctrination and there's manipulation. And Christians fall for it. And it may, I, I, I get really frustrated. And yet, as an American, we have the right to vote. Right. So it's and also we understand that God is the one who sets up kings and deposes kings. So there, there's roles here in all of this. But one of the things that we have to do is we have to pray for our leadership. OK. And so you can't choose not to pray for the president or a party on either side. Dear Lord, they really need prayer. They really do. Let's vote them all out of office. Start over. Anyway. Can, can we stand for a moment? Can we pray? But here's the thing. As we pray for our leaders, know this. We have to pray for one another as well. We've got to fight for community. We've got to fight for this idea of koinonia. But here's what I'm asking. For the state of our nation, for the state of the world, really, 
pray for our leaders. Pray for other leaders of other nations that God, God's will would be done. That he would remove people and he would bring people. The Bible says that the, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he desires. Right? Let's just pray. Father, we ask right now that just for our, our leaders, our president, the senate, the representatives, the, the judicial branch, God, people who are making laws, we ask that you would give them wisdom. We ask, God, that, that uh, they would feel prompted and convicted by the Holy Spirit, that they would come back to, to Scripture to look for how to, to rule well, God. I pray, Lord, for our church that we will not be manipulated in either direction, God, but we would look to the Bible for our truths, God, and we would not look to a political party for answers, but, God, we would trust you, we would look to you. I pray, God, for leaders all over the world that you would remove those, God, that need to be removed and that you would replace those who need to be replaced. But, God, I pray that you would call the church back to their place of prayer, praying for those we disagree with, praying for those that we we support, but praying, God, that your will would be done in our nation, your will would be done in our world, and that political things would not divide the church, but that we would be united as one. We pray that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.